a little different today without Kenny by my side, giving him the weekend off to be able to worship with his family and to enjoy that time together. And just wanted to come on this Palm Sunday and, and come with a time of celebration but remembrance. This is the beginning of Holy Week for us, and uh, it's a week for us to remember Christ's death and his resurrection. And even though things are different, a little weird right now, I don't want us to lose track of of our Savior in the midst of all of this. And so we've been considering Jesus, walking through a few passages of Scripture leading up to Easter. And today we come to Palm Sunday. We come to Luke chapter 19. And as we look at Luke chapter 19, I also want you to keep in mind the passage we read earlier in the service in Psalm 118, because that passage would have been in the ears, ringing in the ears of Jesus as he comes into Jerusalem remembering that this is the day that the Lord has made. And a lot of times we'll use that passage that this is the day that the Lord has made, and we'll think of it, hey, let's go to worship on Sunday. And and there's truth to that. Jesus makes Sundays. But the day that the Lord has made is the day of Jesus' visitation on the people of Israel. And in that day of visitation, though they were waving palm branches, they really missed the point. And in missing the point, they missed Jesus. And I don't want us to miss Jesus today. So, if you're gathering with us online and you don't have a church home, we're glad you're with us. We, we're excited that you've come to join us just to hear God's word and to worship with us. If you have a church home and, and your church isn't able to do online services, we encourage you to give to your church and to, to participate in what your church is doing. Support the ministry of your church. Support the members of your church during this Holy Week especially. But let's use this as an opportunity to consider or reconsider Jesus to make sure that Jesus is at the forefront of our celebration and our remembrances, that our whole life is marked out by Jesus. Because if we if we miss Jesus, if we misunderstand him, misrepresent him, or just miss him altogether, the news is not good. Now, we get a lot of bad news right now, but the news of misunderstanding or missing Jesus is much worse than anything that Fox News or CNN can give us any news that can come out of the White House or the World Health Organization. The news of missing who Jesus is and what he came to accomplish and do. If you miss that, it's a lot worse than any virus. There's a sin sickness that every single one of us has, and that sin sickness actually infests every part of us so that even the good things that we're doing oftentimes have selfish motives and and don't bring glory to God unless We are bought by the blood of Jesus. Unless we are new creatures in Christ, unless we've repented of our sins and our self-righteousness, placed our trust in Jesus who died in our place and rose again, unless we have come to Christ with nothing to add, nothing that we could earn for resting fully in his grace by faith, then the news is bad. And today I want you to see the good news When you get Jesus, when you understand him, but I also need you to see the bad news of when you miss Jesus or misunderstand him. So Luke's gospel, chapter 19, beginning with verse 30. This is the passage of Palm Sunday, this day of this celebratory entrance into Jerusalem for Jesus. But don't miss, don't miss Jesus in the midst of it. A lot of times we can pay attention to the palm branches, pay attention to the crowds, pay attention to the Pharisees. But today I want you to pay attention to Jesus. Jesus said this, Go into the village in front of you, where on entering you will find a colt tied, on which no one has ever yet sat. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you why are you untying it, 
you shall say this, the Lord has need of it. So those who were sent went away and found it just as he had told them. And as they were untying the colt, its owners said to them, why are you untying the colt? And they said, the Lord has need of it. And they brought it to Jesus and throwing their cloaks on the colt, they set Jesus on it. And as he rode along, they spread their cloaks on the road. As he was drawing near, already on the way down the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of his disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works that they had seen, saying, Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord, peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. And he answered, I tell you, if these were silent, the very stones would cry out. And this is what I want you to see today. I want you to see another instance of Jesus weeping. We've looked at Jesus weeping over Lazarus and the people there as he smelled the stench of death and realized his death was on the horizon. We've, we've seen Jesus have compassion on the crowds. And now he drew near, verse 41, and saw the city. He wept over it, saying, would that you, even you, had known on this day, this day that the Lord has made, Psalm 118, would tell us the things that make for peace, but now they are hidden from your eyes. Would that you had known the things that were made for peace, but now they are hidden from your eyes. For the days will come upon you when your enemies will set up a barricade around you and surround you and hem you in on every side. This is something that would happen in 70 AD and tear you down to the ground, you and your children within you. And they will not leave one stone upon another in you because you did not know the time of your visitation. You missed Jesus. You missed salvation. You missed that Jesus wasn't coming to establish an earthly kingdom in that moment. He was coming to establish a heavenly kingdom, to invite us in to citizenship in heaven. I want you to see Jesus and consider him for just a moment. I want you to consider that he is the king. Understand who Jesus is. Don't miss him. Jesus is the king. He is raised up, exalted by God. And, and even his disciples see this as they lay down their cloaks on the colt and set him on the colt. And they lay down their cloaks on the ground and his followers wave their palm branches. He is the king. But they're also proclaiming this truth in their, in their screaming and their yelling and their excitement that he is the Messiah. He's the Holy One of God. He's the promised Messiah. He's the anointed one that God has sent as his messenger. He's the one that's, that's fulfilling all the promises of the Old Testament that one would come all the way back to Genesis when one would come and his heel would be bruised, but he would crush the head of the serpent and he would be the one who would make all things new. He is the Savior. Understand that Jesus is the Savior, the fulfillment of all God's promises, that now all of the sacrifices that have been made all the time now will be fulfilled once for all in Christ. But you see, the crowds, though they were quoting Psalm 118 and though they were waving the palm branches, many of them missed Jesus. The Pharisees make it pretty obvious here. You can see here the rejection that they that they put upon Jesus. They're, they're like, just tell your people to be quiet. Re rebuke your disciples. And so even in the midst of the yelling and the celebration and the the exaltation of Jesus, there's a misunderstanding as well. As the people are waving their palm branches, they're also desiring for Jesus to come and, and save them. And so they're crying out, Hosanna, Hosanna, which means save us. And in Psalm 118, that's what we're told. Save us, we pray, O Lord, O Lord. 
And yet the people, what they wanted saving from was what? Not what they needed saving from. What they wanted saving from <laughs> was Rome. Rome had come and occupied their land. And they wanted Jesus to be the king who would come take the throne, who would who would depose all of those who were in his way, and they would have a king who would rule with power. But Jesus was not coming to take his throne by power. He was going to take his throne in the kingdom of heaven by suffering. Jesus was not come to make war with Rome, but he was coming to make peace with God. And so I want us today, I want you today to understand, when we consider Jesus, we must consider him for who he really is. And when we do that, when we when we understand who he really is, it will bring peace and joy. It will bring all the joy that goes beyond waving palm branches and all the peace that God intends for us to have with him. But rejecting Jesus because he isn't who you want him to be? Rejecting Jesus because he doesn't fit the mold of what you're looking for in a Savior? It will bring nothing but demise and destruction. This is the end of the passage there in verses 41 and following when Jesus is weeping over Jerusalem. So consider Jesus. Consider Jesus in that moment as he's coming into Jerusalem. He has both the excited blindness of the crowd and the bitterness of the Pharisees. So consider Jesus and his response there as he comes into Jerusalem. First, consider the blindness of the people. In John 1.11, we're told this, that they missed that he was the Messiah sent to save them. He came to his own, but his own did not receive him. Jesus wasn't coming to save them from physical oppression, but from spiritual death. And they missed that he was the Savior that they needed. Psalm 118, though they, though they are crying out and, and proclaiming, save us, we also read that the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. The blindness of the people would reject him as the one who would save them. Instead, they would be the ones who would crucify him. He became a stumbling block for, for them to their own demise. As they celebrated him for who they wished he was, they missed who he really was. But consider also the bitterness of the religious elite, the Pharisees, crying out to him, hey, Jesus, make your people be quiet. Yet rebuke them. Tell them that they don't need to be screaming. Don't have them cause trouble right now. See, they were always afraid that peace with Rome was the most important thing. Because if there was a big crowd that gathered, Rome was always on the scene to try to suppress it, to make sure that those crowds didn't turn into insurrection. And so here's the Pharisees going, you got a big crowd around you, Jesus. You need to tell them to be quiet. Because if the Romans come, then we're all losing our position. We're all losing our place. The people wanted freedom from Rome. The Pharisees wanted peace with Rome. Jesus wanted something completely different. And so in their blindness, the blindness and the bitterness of the religious elite, they were more concerned about their position instead of the souls of the people who were crying out to a Savior. I believe that people will either receive Jesus for who he is or they will reject Jesus because he's not who they want him to be. See, the difference in insight and ability to see Jesus for who he is, that's a gift from God. When, when Peter and the disciples were asked, who do people say that I am? And they went through a litany of people, that prophets and, and people of the Old Testament that Jesus might be. And Jesus then said, who do you say that I am? He said, you're the Christ. 
And Jesus told Peter, flesh and blood didn't reveal that to you. This is a gift from God. The difference in insight of who Jesus is, the ability to see and consider and understand Jesus is a gift from God, a gift of his grace. So today, count this, count this moment right now as an act of God's grace that we would be able to consider or to reconsider as we gaze at and marvel at the love, the sovereignty, the mercy of Jesus. And my prayer today is that we would walk away from this passage, first of all, admiring Jesus in his glorious sovereignty and his mercy as the king who is merciful and compassion. Secondly, that we would rejoice in Jesus because he's made peace with God for us. He hasn't made peace with Rome. He's made peace with God, that we would enjoy and proclaim Jesus. That's the third thing, because he is worthy. That it would go well beyond waving palm branches, because we will consider and realize who Jesus really is, and that will bring us eternal joy. So consider first, if we're going to see this this Jesus and consider him, and we're going to rejoice in him, and we're going to enjoy him and proclaim him, we need to consider first his sovereignty. As he's riding in on the colt, to Jerusalem. We see his sovereignty here. See, nothing could stop Jesus in his plans, and the people understood that. That's why they're worshiping. That's why they're exalting him. That's why they're waving the palm branches. The text actually tells us that he had done all of the mighty works. Look back at verse 37. They begin to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works they had seen. So all of his miracles up to this point now lead to this point of the people understanding this one is the messiah this one is the king nothing stopping jesus in fact it wasn't that long ago that jesus raised lazarus from the dead you want to tell me a story that spreads more quickly than somebody raising from the dead and so the people knew that nothing was going to stop jesus they're admiring him they're worshiping him they're proclaiming his sovereignty they're praising him for it. We see here Jesus is the king established by God. He's the king of an eternal kingdom. And the people knew this, and that's why they're crying out the words of Psalm 118. You don't worship someone with scripture unless you understand that Jesus is the one exalted by God, the one sent by God. Jesus is getting the praise that he deserves. But even if the people are quiet, this is how sovereign Jesus is. The Pharisees say, rebuke your disciples, tell them to be quiet. And Jesus says, hey, if they're quiet, the rocks are going to cry out. That's how sovereign I am. Our Jesus is sovereign and will receive the praise that he deserves because he created everything. Everything exists to exalt him and to praise him, even the rocks, if necessary. Then I want you to see this as well, because sometimes we miss this. And we'll, we'll come to a place where, at the end of this passage, Jesus is weeping over Jerusalem. And he's saying, oh, if only you knew what really brought peace. And we come to this place and we might think, well, that kind of says that maybe Jesus isn't sovereign. Because couldn't he just let them know? What, wouldn't he just make them? What's the deal with God and his sovereignty here? How is Jesus sovereign here? And I want you to see this. This is how Jesus is sovereign in the moment. All of the rejection from the Pharisees and all of the persecution and suffering that's coming is always part of the plan. Before the foundation of the world, this is God's plan. And so Jesus is so sovereign that nothing is going to keep him from getting to the cross. He's so sovereign that the plan of suffering is actually part of the eternal plan of salvation for us. Marvel at the sovereignty of Jesus that nothing is going to thwart 
his plans, that nothing is going to stand in his way, and he will receive the reward of his suffering, which is which is a people that are purchased with his blood. Exalt him, rejoice in him, proclaim him because of his sovereignty. And then consider for just a second the mercy of Jesus. See here the mercy of Jesus. He's weeping over Jerusalem, verses 41 and following. He's he's crying over Jerusalem. He loves the people of Jerusalem. Even though the people of Jerusalem will reject him, he loves them. He is tenderhearted. When I see Jesus in this moment looking over a city that has rejected all the prophets through the Old Testament, has rejected and, and most of the time turned their back on God and his ways, and now will crucify him in just a few short days. When I see Jesus weeping over that city, what it does to my heart is it breaks me of my desire to look at people and say, I told you so. Oh, that we as God's people would pray that God would make us as tenderhearted as Jesus. I look out at the world right now suffering and I don't have all the answers. I know that God must be up to something. I know that for his people, he's working something really good. And for his glory, he's working something very glorious. And I know that his desire is that people would come to trust him in the middle of this pandemic. But I I also have to lament in the middle of all of this for all the loss and all the hurt and all the pain, all the rejection. And so when I look at people who are struggling with faith right now, I want to be tenderhearted. I want to be drawn to a place of loving them and caring for them and pointing them to Jesus, who is tenderhearted as well, to the point that he weeps over those who would reject him. Consider the mercy of Jesus weeping over Jerusalem and his tenderheartedness. But see also that he's incredibly intentional. He's very intentional and is moving into suffering for his people. He's making it clear what is happening here. He is on his cult going into Jerusalem. His disciples have already told him, hey, if you go back to Jerusalem, you're going to be killed. The Pharisees, the Sadducees, the religious elite are after his head. And he is intentional about this. If you're trying to sneak into town, do some good ministry, get back out, save your life, you don't get on a colt and ride into town and let people wave palm branches. Jesus is intentional here in his mercy. He wants people to know that he is paying the price for their sins. He is moving into suffering for his people. He's intentionally going to walk up the hill of Calvary. And he's going to intentionally allow himself to be killed in our place. He's going to give himself up for us. But consider also the mercy of Jesus and that he is tenderhearted, that he's intentional in moving into suffering for his people, and that he intends to make peace with God for his people. This is his cry over Jerusalem. Oh, that you would just know what is necessary, what is needed for peace. You don't need peace with Rome. You don't need to make things calm right now. You don't need peace with religious elites. You need peace with God. And the only one who can bring us peace with God is Jesus Christ. The only one who can take our sin debt and pay for it is Jesus Christ. The only one who can take all of our rejection against God and turn us into accepted ones 
by God is Jesus Christ. This is what he and he alone can accomplish to make peace by the blood of his cross. Trust him today. Trust Jesus today, who is tender-hearted, who looks at you, though you may have rejected him your whole life, with tender-hearted mercy, showing you his sovereignty, that nothing is going to stop him from his plan of saving those whom he will save. And today, you are hearing this message of his mercy and grace. Respond in faith. Cry out to the Lord. Call upon the name of the Lord, and you will be saved. Recognize him as Savior, not Not a political figure who's going to end your oppression, but a Savior who will purchase you out of your sin debt to new life in God. Recognize Him today and trust Him today. Consider Jesus correctly and you will receive the peace that only He can give. Peace with God. Peace in the midst of the trouble. Because you have a resurrection and a hope. Because you can live for an eternity that is 10 trillion years and beyond. Today and tomorrow will be but a memory. And even the suffering of today and tomorrow leads you to a greater joy that will be for eternity. That's what peace with God affords us. Consider Jesus incorrectly, however, and see what the passage tells us. The only thing that comes is rejection. Consider him incorrectly. Reject him for who he is. Wish he was someone else and so reject him for who he is. And that only promise that Scripture gives us is ultimate demise. I mean, you may even look like you're winning in the midst of all the demise. You may be doing quite well right now in the middle of this pandemic. Hey, you're you're essential. You're working. You might be working overtime. You might be making more money than you've ever made in your life. Your only problem is finding toilet paper right now. And that might be your biggest issue. And you're looking at this and saying, hey, I've never trusted Jesus before. I tuned in because one of my friends told me I should. And here I am. And you're telling me that if I don't trust Jesus, I have an ultimate demise. Hey, everything's good right now. I I can't see the demise. But ultimately, ultimately what will happen is demise and destruction. That's what Jesus is saying in the passage. That's what he's saying. It's going to take years, decades even, for this destruction to come. The days will come, verse 43, upon you, when your enemies will set up a barricade around you and surround you and hem you in on every side. One day, Jerusalem would fall in 70 AD. One day, all of our false precipices of of our good, of our success, all those false pretenses that we have of what we've accomplished, outside of Christ, they'll all fall. But I want you to see today that even in the midst of all of your rejection, even in the midst of all of my self-righteousness, even in the midst of all of all of the palm waving without actually seeing Jesus, I want you to see this. There is one who wept. Not because of the pain that was coming, but he wept because of his deep love for those who had misinterpreted him, those who had misunderstood him, those who didn't understand what was needed for peace. So see his sovereign mercy today. He's weeping and forgiving and see his merciful sovereignty as he draws near to you today. My prayer for each of us is that we would exalt Jesus and exalt in him, that we would rejoice 
and proclaim this Jesus who is full of mercy, who is King of kings. And I pray that you'll trust him today. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your mercy and grace. I thank you for your sovereignty. I thank you that you in this moment can cause this to reach thousands, if not more, people around the globe as we celebrate on this Palm Sunday. But we don't celebrate a Sunday. We celebrate a Savior. So I pray that today we would exalt Jesus, that Jesus would be lifted up as the King of kings and Lord of lords. Draw us into more faith, we pray in Christ's name. Amen.